0: For my testimony, I'd like to share a Bible verse with you. It's Philippians 4 verse 13, and it says, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And that's what helped me through a lot of my hard times is that Bible verse, knowing that Christ gives you strength. I have schizophrenia as a mental illness, and it has been very scary and hard for me. Um, I've been in and out of mental institutes, and MHI was the last place I was, and I was able to witness the people there and pray for them, and God had me at the right place at the right time, even though it was hard. And I believe that the suffering we go through is not by accident, it teaches us and helps us to become stronger. The suffering I went through, people ask, why do, you suffer? why do we have to suffer? Whatever you're going through right now, you can choose to reject God and say, oh, this is too hard, or you can let God help you through it. Because He helps me through a lot. I'm still battling with trials in my life, and I know He can help you too.
1: Good morning. I want to thank uh, Vanessa for sharing that with us, being vulnerable and just sharing some from her heart and her experience that, you know what, this life is not simple. But God is gracious and God is good. And if we put ourselves in the correct posture, right, if we put ourselves in the right posture and allow God to use us to encourage us, to strengthen us, and his power to flow through us in those moments. And what will happen, right, is that we'll find that God has us right where he needs us to be so that we can be effective for his glory and his kingdom's sake. All right, notice the difference. It doesn't mean that God puts us in situations that are problematic, right? We talked about this last week. This world is broken. And in a broken world, broken world, things happen. In a broken world, we we have disease and sickness and mental illness. In a broken world, we we have poverty and despair and heartache and hardship and all of these things, right? But when we, as followers of Jesus Christ, children of God most high, put ourselves in a position to rely on him, and the strength he provides and the grace he gives for today and the bright hope for tomorrow, then we find ourselves in a position to do great things for the kingdom and to receive blessings that are beyond compare. So I want to, I appreciate that testimony and and the encouragement that comes from it. And it fits so nicely with where we're, we're going today as we continue in this series, right? We're, we're, uh, just really, because this is, this is a 15, 16 week series, something like that, and so here we are week four. We're just kind of really getting into um, this long story short series, right? Because there's a lot of signposts for us to deal with. And remember, that's our goal, is we are walking through the signposts of Scripture, the things that we need to know Right, The markers, the mile markers, the the signposts to help us understand the story that God lays out for us. It's His story. He is the central character of this story. Um, And and we are to interact with it as it goes. And so we've had three of these already. Signpost one is is God is real and He can be known. Right? Remember uh, the first half of the first verse in the first chapter of the first book of Scripture that God gave us is, In the beginning, God right? God is real and he is personal and he can be known. Signpost two was this, God created everything. Everything that exists does so because God created it. He spoke it into being. It was the power and the majesty of his voice, the word of God that hovers, that that creates everything from nothing. And it's not random, it's purposeful. On purpose, for purpose. And then we got to last week, where it didn't take us as human beings long to mess it all up. And that's signpost three the fall. It's this great theological idea of the fall. And really, it's just code for we jacked it up. It was perfect, and then we messed it up. And now we live in a world that's broke. Remember, we discussed this last week. You can always go back and listen if you missed it. But uh, by way of review, we broke the world in four ways. And we broke it. It was perfect. God creates it on purpose and for a purpose. And we broke it. First of all, we, we literally broke the planet. Sin literally broke the planet. Tsunamis, forest fires floods, droughts, hurricanes, tsunamis, earthquakes. None of those are part of good God's good creation. He creates it perfectly. He steps back and he says, "It's very good." And we broke it. Sin fractures the perfect creation. Two. Right? Sin broke us physically. Because of the fall, we are all on a collision course with death. Dementia, cancer, Alzheimer's, diabetes, heart disease, you name it. Mental health struggles, depression, you name it. Our bodies are physically broken. Coronaviruses, Right? These things impact us because we aren't the perfect creation the way that God made us any longer. Sin has come in the world and it's corrupted our flesh. Three, it's not just the world, not just our physical bodies, but it's our morality. Our morality is broken. When God creates people perfectly, he creates Adam and he creates Eve, and he tells them to to be fruitful and multiply and to flourish, right? He doesn't envision a society with divorce. He doesn't envision a society with murder, where people perpetrate evil on one another. Like, it doesn't cross his mind when he steps back and he says, it is very good that there will be such a thing as, as abortion, capital punishment, prisons, lies, deceit. Like none of those are things abuse. None of those are things that God intended through his perfect creation. But because of the fall, we broke it. The world is broken. Physically, we're broken. And morally, we're corrupt. Right? And the Bible tells us that now every generation that's born after sin enters the world, every generation that's born after sin enters the world is now marred by sin. It's part of our being. We're made in the image of God, but we're also corrupt because of sin. Think about it this way you're the wrong shape. You were supposed to be a circle, and now you're a square. I know that seems so childish, but, but, it, but it just doesn't fit the way that it's supposed to fit because we're the wrong shape. That's the sin nature that lives in us now because of the fall. We're, the, the world is broken. Physically, we're broken. Morally, we're broken. And, and if those things weren't bad enough, worse yet, spiritually, we're broken. We were created to know God and to walk in lockstep with him. And we broke it. And so now, because of sin, we are estranged from God, the God that was supposed to walk personally with us, the God that created us in his image lovingly, intimately, and he cares, and he knows, and he counts the hairs on our head. And we were supposed to walk through this life with him, enjoying his creation, ruling over his creation, being in a relationship with him. Spiritually, that's broken. Because of the sin and the wrong in our life, because we're the wrong shape, because we don't fit, because it's broken, we can't relate to a holy God anymore. That's where we find ourselves at the end of signpost three. It's broken. It's not what it's supposed to be. And so if that were the end of the story, if scripture closed there, then we would all be sad and we would go home and it would be um, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we may die because that's all there is to it. The good news though, is that the signposts continue, right? And today we deal with signpost four, and that signpost is simply this. Hope that there one day will be redemption. Hope that one day there will be redemption. And we don't have to go too far in scripture before we see this. Look, Genesis 3, right after the fall, right after Adam and Eve usher sin into the world, and they break it in those four ways. Right after that happens, here's what God says as he's doling out curses. Is he says, because you did this, now it's all broken. But he says this in Genesis 3.15. Listen, he's talking to the snake. He's talking to Satan. He's talking to the enemy of our souls. And he says, listen, there is going to be hostility between you and humanity. And we're like, yeah, duh. Right? We know this. We're like, thanks, Pastor Matt, for telling me something I didn't know. Satan is out to get us right? There is hostility between all of humanity, the offspring of the woman, all of humanity and Satan. The hostility exists, and it will be epic, and it will be awful. But then here's what, here's what God says to give hope of future redemption. Yeah, you'll nip. You'll strike his heel, but ultimately he will crush your head. You will land a blow, but he will decisively defeat you. And we look at this in two ways. Most prophecy, as we read through scripture, most prophecy we look at in two ways. One is a general, and then uh, prophecy, there's, there's general ways to understand this. And then there is this very specific intention, right? Generally, we are harassed by Satan, and he will strike and nip at us always, constantly. But we know, Christian, that because of what Jesus has done, we have ultimate victory. And Satan is ultimately defeated, and he is crushed. Right? That's a very general way to understand that. But a very specific way to understand that is God explaining in Genesis 3, look, there is a plan of redemption that exists, and there will be a specific child we know him as the messiah there will be a specific child and you will wrestle with the specific child the messiah god in flesh and you will strike at him you will land a blow satan you will even think that you've won but he ultimately will crush your head and he will defeat you and in doing so will conquer sin and death once and for all. Now, we just skipped ahead like a lot of signposts, right? So um, we will get to that signpost in like December 10th. So wait for it. You can write it down. I don't even know if that's a Sunday, but I just made up a day. It's December. Second Sunday in December, we will get there, whatever that is, okay? But, but that's, that's the progression. So, so right away, we have this hope, right? We shouldn't have this hope. We wrecked it. But God steps in and says, yes, yes, you wrecked it. But there is hope. Hope that redemption is coming. Redemption is this fancy word. Let's think of it as rescue. Rescue is coming. Ransom is coming. Right? Basically, here's what God's saying. Even though they broke it, I'm going to give them a way to make it okay. I'm going to give them a way to make it right. And we're going to see this play out, right? But it's not immediate. Because we know that when sin enters the world, right, things get bad. We skip ahead some generations, and here's what happens in Genesis 6. Because sin has entered the world, here's what happens in Genesis 6. The Lord says... I will wipe this human race I've created from the face of the earth. Yes, and I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I am sorry I ever made them. Except for Noah, because Noah found favor with the Lord. Right, and you know this, in Genesis 6, 7, 8, we we read this story of, of Noah's ark, Um, And some of you are so sadistic. You decorated your kid's nursery in this. You're like this mass, mass judgment that God brings on the world, right? Bringing judgment on the world, which is people getting what they deserve for their sin, which is death and eternal separation from God. And you're like, you know what? That's good baby motif. Yeah, I don't know. Um, But here's what happens. Right? God shows us something with the flood. And, And it's hard. It's hard. But what God shows us with the flood is that sin will not be tolerated. What God shows us with the flood is that sin will unequivocally, no questions asked, sin will be paid for. And the price is death. The price is death and separation from a holy God. Sin will be paid for. See, and we wrestle with this, right? Because, because we, we we read through Scripture and we look at these signposts and we want to skip ahead to when Jesus comes and God saves us from our sin and everything is good and right. But before we can get there, God needs to show us something. And he does that in Genesis 6, 7, and 8. And it is horrific. And what he's showing us is that sin has a price. And the price is Bigger than you can pay. And so ultimately, the toll is death and separation from a holy God. You're like, Matt, you said signpost four was hope of redemption and rescue. Yeah, it is. But first, we have to understand this. This is not. This this isn't just some random story that's in there. I mean, this is is a real thing. We talk about Noah and the ark and the flood. This is a real thing that happened, right? This This isn't just a metaphor. It's not some kind of silly parable. No, no, no. This is an event that happened in history where God causes a flood of the earth to devastate mankind, saving in the ark that he asked Noah to build. Noah, his family, and and two of every kind so that he could start over again, not because he thinks it's going to be different, but because he's trying to show us something. What he's trying to show us is that sin costs a lot. It costs more than you want to pay. It costs everything. Right? So he does this. Right? And then he starts over with Noah. Like, literally. Not figuratively. He literally starts over with Noah. And it's not because he's expecting a better outcome. Look at this. In Genesis 8, he says, And the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice. And he said to himself, okay, so this is, uh, I'll give you the background. Like Noah, um, after the the 40 days and 40 nights, the rain stops, and then there's all this. And he gets off the boat. And God had told him to take two of every animal, right? Male and female. And and also to take some extra to, to make sacrifices to the Lord, right? So... He's making, after they get out of the boat, they're on dry land, he's making sacrifice to give thanks to God for protecting them in the flood and to honor him as the God of the universe. And here's where we pick up. The Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice. And he said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of the human race. Even though. It's not because he expects them to be better this time. Right? Like, think about it. Parents, you send your kids to the room and and you... you, you, You give them what for. And then you naively expect that when they come out of that room, they will have that attitude in check. No, they won't. We know better than that. God isn't expecting that this time humans will get it right. No, he says, I will never again curse the ground because of the human race, even though everything they think or imagine is bent towards evil. From childhood, like from their birth, everything they think and imagine is bent towards evil. Even though that's true, I will never again destroy all living things. We're like, okay, so what's going to happen next then? What happens next time? God looks at the human race and he says, it's evil and wicked and every thought they have is detestable to me because of sin. Well, see, God shows us what judgment looks like. But then we skip ahead six chapters, right, or four chapters from here, and God's going to show us what the hope of redemption looks like. And so signpost four, here's what we get. We see the steps in God's progressive plan, and it's progressive. Each signpost is another progression along this redemption, Right? It starts here. Signpost four is the hope of redemption. And then every signpost along the way from here will be another revelation in how God is moving us towards redemption. Another step in the way. That's how we know we're going the right direction. Right? We follow the signpost that he puts in front of us. But this is God's progressive plan for dealing definitively with evil and brokenness in the world and in our hearts. Listen, we've gone through this now for three weeks. God didn't create this mess that we live in. It's a product of the fall. But God is not satisfied to let us stew in the mess. Through the flood, he showed us what the price is. He showed us our need. Now he's going to show us how to access redemption. And it starts with a man called Abram. Those of you who know your Bibles well know that Abram later has his name changed by God to Abraham. But if you didn't know that, that's cool. Abram, Abraham, same guy, right? And so the plan of redemption starts with Abram. We know that Abram is the father of Israel. He is the primary, the beginner, uh, the ancestor of all of the nation of Israel, which is what the Old Testament, the nation that the Old Testament rallies around, uh, centers around, is, is Israel. God's chosen people starts with a man called Abram. And it starts in Genesis 12. You can turn there in your Bibles if if you want. You can check on the screen here. Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, go to the land that I will show you. Now I want to stop there. Some of you, right, and you don't have to raise your hand because that could be awkward. Some of you are like, yes, I will leave my relatives, and I will get out of here. However, that was not the case for Abram. This was not an easy decision for him. God is calling him to a sacrifice. God is calling him to a big thing. He says, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. And here's what I will do for you. I will make you into a great nation you individually. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who treat you with contempt. And so right here, what we have in, in Genesis 12 is, is the beginning of this story of redemption as it's played out, right? God has shown us that sin costs, And that sin demands judgment, right? But now he's showing us something else because the world is just as evil. But instead of telling Abram, hey, build a big boat, right? While I flood the earth, he says, Abram, here, instead of building a big boat, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your family. I want you to pack up your belongings. And I want you to go to a place that I will show you. And I'm going to turn you into a great nation, So God is going to do something different. He showed us judgment. Now he's going to show us love, grace, mercy. Remember we talked in week one about how God can be known. He is all of these characteristics. He is loving and gentle and just. And he is merciful and gracious. And all of those characteristics interact with each other. We saw his judgment and justice with the flood. Now we're going to see something else with the call of Abram. So what God's asking him to do here is enter into something called a covenant commitment. We know this is the Abrahamic covenant. He's asking him to enter into a covenant commitment, right? Covenant commitment is this a binding commitment between two parties. It's like a legal pledge, if you will. The easy example that we have in our culture of this is marriage, right? We have the the example of the marital commitment. It's a covenant commitment. It says, I choose you for better or for worse, for richer or for poor, right? This is the covenant part of it. It's not just like, I choose you because it's really nice. And when it stops being nice, I'll go do something else. I'll go pick someone else. I'll go somewhere where it's easier. No, no, no. You're like, I choose you for better or for worse. In rich and in poor. In sickness and in health. Right? Whether I feel like it or I think my feelings have changed. Right? This is the deal. And now listen, this isn't a knock on people that have struggled with divorce in their life. That happens. This is a broken world. And and we know from scripture that that there are times when, when God says this is something that's okay. But his ideal is that this covenant be secure, that it be permanent, right? That's the idea of a covenant, right? And it's based on trust and faith. There's two questions we ask ourselves when we enter into a covenant, Do I think they can hold up their end of the bargain? And do I think they will hold up their end of the bargain? Because if I don't think they can hold up their end of the bargain, I'm not going to enter into that covenant commitment. Listen, I, I don't know how we all feel about our internet options here in Vinton. We have fiber optic now. It's awesome. Some of you live outside of town. I'm sorry. Right before that, right... We, we had a different provider, okay? And uh, they couldn't hold up their end of the bargain, right? And so when we would call to get it fixed, they would be like, oh, well, we can fix it for you, but you have to sign a new contract. Like, well, why in the world would I sign a new commitment with you when you haven't shown that you can live up to your end of the bargain and the commitment that I'm in, right? We don't enter covenants where we don't think somebody can hold up their end. It's just a a dumb example, but those of you that struggle with the same internet company that I used to have, you know what I'm talking about, right? And those of you that can't get fiber optic really move into town. Now, okay. One, can they? And then two is this, will they? Do I trust that they will? Can they hold up their end of the bargain? And then will they? Do I believe? Hold up their end of the bargain. Now, God, the God of the universe, in the beginning God, who is real and knowable, says to Abram, hey, I want you to enter into this covenant commitment with me. So Abram has to ask himself the question, do I think God can hold up his end of the bargain? Well, we, we discovered this in week one. God is all-powerful. He can do what he wills, and he is all-knowing, so he knows everything that's going to happen. So yes, he can definitely hold up his end of the bargain. And then two, will he? Is he trustworthy? And we said, yes. Week one, we discovered God is truthful, right? That God doesn't lie. That God doesn't change his mind. Right? So that's the covenant. God says, "Hey, enter into this covenant with me. Here's what I want you to do. If you will, then I will." I want you. And notice he doesn't give him a lot of details here. This is the progressive nature of revelation that we've talked about. He says, "I want you to get up and go." Right? He doesn't give him a map. Used to be before GPS was a thing, there was MapQuest. Who remembers MapQuest? Okay. That was really cool for a second. I think the guy that invented MapQuest thought he was going to make it big. And then GPS happened and whatever. But before GPS was a thing, there was MapQuest. And before MapQuest there was a thing, there was my dad. And whenever I was going anywhere, there was a map. It was highlighted. There were written instructions. And it was given to me along with a... Don't be dumb. Use the map. Conversation. Right? God doesn't give Abram a map. Right? Progressive revelation. He says here, I want you to get up. I go. I want you to pack up your things. I want you to get your family together. I want you to leave the comfort and safety of everything that you've ever known. And I want you to go. God, where am I going to go? Ah, I'll tell you when you get there. Go to the place that I will show you. I will show you later on. Trust me. Enter into this covenant that's all about faith and trust. Do you trust me to be able to pull it off? And do you trust me to be true to my word? Get up and go to the place I will show you. And here's what you get I will bless your socks off. It says, I'll make you into a great nation. At this point in time, Abram's 75 years old, he has no children. 75 years old, he has no children. In fact, in Genesis 5, he says to God, he says, hey God, what good are all your blessings if I don't have a descendant, if I don't have a child, if I don't have an heir? Like, like how am I going to be a great nation with no child? And God says, look, do you trust me? Because here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you, look up at the stars. See, count all the stars if you can. I will give you descendants more numerous than the stars. Just trust me. That's what God says. He says, leave your family. Trust me. He says, I will bless you. I will throw blessings at you. I will pour blessings out on you. I will bless you and make you famous. And you know what? God held up his end of the bargain. We know that, that the nation of Israel was numerous. And guess what, Christian? We know that we are counted among them. We are counted as descendants of Abraham. Abraham as Christians. So not only was the nation of Israel great and numerous as God promised, but the fact that Christians from all throughout history are are, are part of his nation too. God held up his end of the bargain. So I'll bless you and make you famous. You'll be a blessing to others. And then he says this, oh, by the way, I will bless those that bless you and take it a step further. He says, I'll curse those that curse you. People want to give you a hard time? What to deal with me? says, so if I'm with you, who could possibly be against you? And this is the call. This is what God asks Abraham to enter into. And it's part of the story of redemption, right? And we're going to get to why that's so critically important and what it has to do with us in a second. But let me pause here and ask you a question real quick. I'm wondering, like, has God ever asked you to step out in faith because he hasn't shown it all and just said, look, trust me, just follow me. Just put one foot in front of the other and take a step. But God, I don't know where we're going. Yeah, that's okay. I do. He says, I I know where you're going. Just take a step. By the time we finish today, we're going to celebrate communion. We're going to celebrate ultimately how this all plays out in the story of redemption. We're going to see how all of this plays out in the story of redemption. We're going to get there and all of it because God said to Abram, pack up your stuff and go. And Abram, without knowing the full story, said, okay, I will trust you. I'm just asking you, do you trust God that much? Will you follow him? Do you follow him? Do you put yourself in positions where if God doesn't show up, you are hopeless and you are sunk? See, I can imagine Abram, he he packs up his stuff and he goes and he gets to the end of the street, right? And and there's an intersection. I don't think there was really an intersection, but I'm making this up for my story and you'll get there, right? And, And he gets to the end of the street and there's an intersection. If God doesn't show up right here, Abram's in trouble. God has to show him where to go. Like, but we, we don't tend to give God the opportunity to show us what's next because we don't tend to take steps of faith. So I appreciate a story like Vanessa's, right? It says, you know what? It was awful. Struggling with all of these things and ending up in, in you know, mental health treatment and ending up in, in the hospital and doing these things and, and just feeling lost. But here's the deal. I could take one step, and God was faithful to use it. God was faithful to use her to bless other people, to use her to share the gospel with other people. And God has continued to bless her and will continue to do so as she continues to be faithful. And these blessings, listen, these blessings aren't, they're not what we typically think when we think of blessings, right? It's not money, We think of blessings, we we think of power, prestige, position, right? That's the the, uh, prosperity gospel, right? That if you do for God, God will bless you with stuff. That's not what the Bible ever says, right? God doesn't ever promise to bless you with stuff, but he does promise to bless you with purpose, with hope, with redemption, with knowing him personally, and with an eternity with him in heaven. God's blessings are priceless. So let's not try to put a price on them. But is God calling you to do something? I, I, because here's the deal He wants to use you in a way that you can't understand. Abram didn't understand what all was going to transpire when he took his steps away from home. You don't understand what's going to transpire when you follow God in faith. But I promise it's big. But we keep going. And and here's the crux, right? We get this, it says, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who treat you with contempt. And here is the crux of it. In the second half of verse three, and all the families on the earth will be blessed through you. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. This is what God tells Abram. If you will just be obedient and take this step, I will make you famous, I will make you known, I will give you a child, and from that child I will grow an entire nation, more numerous than the stars in the sky and the sand on the beach. I will do that for you. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. Why? Because through you, I want to bless all of the families of the earth. I want to offer them hope. And that hope will come through redemption. See, this is what happens, right? We we know this story, um, right? Abram uh, eventually has a son, Isaac. Isaac eventually has sons, but one of them, Jacob, continues the promise. Jacob eventually has 12 sons. Of those 12 sons... One of them is Joseph, and you know him because he has an amazing technicolor dream coat. Right? Joseph's brothers are jealous of him, right, and sell him into slavery in Egypt. And when it seems hopeless, God continues to bless the line of Abram. Abraham by elevating Joseph he he causes Joseph to understand a dream that Pharaoh has that there will be a grand famine in the land that there will be 7 years of excellent crops and then 7 years of poor awful crops and and he, and he has Joseph, the wisdom to interpret the dream, and then he prompts Pharaoh to put Joseph in a position of power to manage this so that at the end of the famine, Joseph is the second highest in command in Egypt. A foreigner, an Israelite, is the second highest in command in Egypt at the end of this famine. And because he's in a position of power, Joseph is able to bring his 11 brothers and his father and all of their families to Egypt. And so now we get this beginning of the nation of Israel that God promised to Abraham. The beginning of this nation is now living under Pharaoh's protection. In the most powerful country in the world at the time, they are taken care of living under Pharaoh's protection. And over the course of 400 years, they grow in numbers and power so much so that the new ruler over Egypt tries to oppress them, even puts them in slavery and orders the firstborn child, if they're male, to be murdered because he doesn't want them to grow more powerful. But God intervenes through Moses, a baby who's, who, who is supposed to be murdered, but instead his mother, in faith, puts him in a basket and floats him down the Nile River, and God orchestrates it so that, that, so that, Pharaoh's daughter finds Moses and loves him and takes him as her own. And so Moses is raised in the palace. And then after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, 40 years of being in the wilderness so that God could teach him what it means to truly be obedient and follow, God sends Moses back to Egypt to demand the release of Israel. He says, let my people, this is what God says, let my people go. Pastor David's going to get to this a little bit next time. Um, And and, and they're going to go, and and God is going to take them out into the wilderness, and he's going to bring them, and he's going to create in them not just a people group, but a nation. He's going to give them laws. He's going to give them moral mandates. And God gives them a very clear instruction. Through you, through your behavior— through the way that you act, everybody in the world will see you, Israel, and they should look at you and they should know that there is only one true God of the universe who creates everything. And he gives them a system. He gives them a system. Through Abram, he gives them a system of sacrifices so that when they sin, God can allow them to transfer their guilt onto an animal that will be slaughtered and put to death in their place. Remember, we saw what sin costs in the flood. It costs destruction, death, physical death, and eternal separation from God. But God sets up a system of sacrifices so that instead of me paying the the death penalty for my sin, an animal could do it for me. And my sin would be on the, for temporarily would be put on the animal and I would be able to continue to exist. And then generation after generation after generation, we see the story of Israel until we get to the person of Jesus Christ who becomes not just a temporary sacrifice for our sin, but the full sacrifice for our sin. Right? This is the story of Scripture. This is how this plays out. These are the signposts. This is why this matters, right? We broke it. God creates it perfect. He says it's very good. We break it, right? We break it physically. We break the planet. We break it morally. We break it spiritually. But God says, I'm not going to leave you alone. Instead, I'm going to give you a way to be redeemed. And he does it through the person of Abram, growing the nation of Israel so that ultimately Jesus Christ can be born and can bring salvation. Right? But don't forget that before that happened, God showed us something else in Genesis 6. He brought a flood, He showed us that sin costs death, destruction, eternal separation. See, the reason that we have to start there is because even in this hope of redemption, that sin still exists, and that sin still has to be paid for. All of your sin, all of my sin, that wrath that was poured out on the world at the flood, that wrath still exists. I'm not better. You aren't better than the people that died in the flood. They deserved the wrath of God for their sinfulness. Here's the deal we deserve the wrath of God for our sinfulness. And sin will be paid for. But here's the catch God does not want us to have to pay the penalty for sin. He wants to offer us hope of redemption. And that's the whole purpose of the cross. It's the whole purpose of the story of Abram and the calling of Abram and the growing of a nation. And and the eventual coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, God himself in flesh, was so that the wrath of God could be paid by him for me, for you. We're going to take communion and as we do, I want to ask you to reflect on, on, on this point. When he says, and he's in the room and, and he breaks the bread and he passes the bread, he says, this is my body, broken for you. Eat it and remember, right? That that's what he's talking about. He's talking about the fact that the wrath of God that we deserve for our sin, instead of being directed at us, is going to be directed at Jesus Christ as his body is broken and he is nailed to a cross. That's the wrath that we deserve that's going to be put on him. I want you to reflect on that. As we take communion, we're not just going through the motions, but really what we're doing is we're acknowledging and we're thanking God that he willingly took wrath for us. And then when he poured the cup and he passed the cup and he said, drink this, this is my blood. It's, it's this picture of, of this new covenant, right? That we are now, because God took our wrath and Christ rose from the grave, that we are now made right with him. It's fixing that spiritual separation that we had. One day God will fix, listen, one day God will fix the planet by making it new. One day God will fix our bodies by making them new. God will fix us morally by taking sin away from us and being made to be like Christ. But God wants to heal the spiritual separation right now. The wrath of God was put on Christ so that when we trust and follow him, we can be made right and we can spiritually walk with him. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to play a song. I'm going to ask you to sit and meditate and reflect and pray just for a couple minutes. Take that seriously. Thank God for the fact that the wrath of God was poured out on Christ so that you don't have to taste it. At some point in the next few minutes, I'm going to ask you to come and get communion. It's over here. At some point or If you're watching from home, this will be a good time to just at some point go um, and prepare it for yourself. But come get it, take it back to your seats, and then we'll all partake together. But please pray with me and reflect on what God has done. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for redemption. Father, thank you that the story of Scripture did not close in Genesis 3 but that you have offered a way for us to be right, that you have provided, beginning with Abram, you have provided this hope of redemption, and you have, you have made a way for your wrath to be satisfied. Father, I marvel at the fact that, that you sent your one and only Son, God in flesh, Jesus Christ, that he would willingly lay down his life That he would willingly accept the full wrath that I'm due. That all of us are due. That he would take it upon himself. God, thank you for your willingness. And Father, I praise you that he did not stay dead. But that instead, he came to life conquering death once and for all. So that we too can be made spiritually new with you. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for redemption. God, we love you and we praise you. Amen.